I'm Dan Paletta. Used to be when we thought about the places that whiskey was made, we thought about Scotland, Japan, thought about Kentucky, and Canada. But that map has expanded to include Cleveland. Here to talk to us about the whiskey that he makes and the unique approach he takes to doing it is the founder and CEO of Cleveland Whiskey, Tom Licks. Tom, thanks for being with us today. Well, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Before you began making whiskey, were you much of a consumer of the, that particular spirit? You know, it's sort of a loaded question in terms of, <laughs> in terms of how you answer it. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a drinker of whiskey. I wouldn't say I'm a connoisseur, and I'm certainly not a gourmand, but, uh, you know, I enjoy a good whiskey, yes. So let's talk about your early experiences in making uh, different spirits. It actually stretches back to the Navy. It does. And, you know, it's it's funny. It's a story. Uh, at, at one point, we had President Obama, who was the commander in chief at the time, and uh, he came through our distillery. And I did not tell him this story because it really wasn't appropriate. But yes, I did learn in the Navy. Uh, I became sort of the apprentice of an old chief petty officer, and uh, he was distilling spirits on the ship. He tapped into the hot water systems and the cooling systems and fermenting fruit juice from the galley. And uh, it was an interesting time. When we take a look at Cleveland Whiskey, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself more as a, a, a whiskey-making company, or is this more sort of like an innovative startup kind of company? Well, I think we're really a technology company. Uh, the, the process we use is a technology. We have uh, a couple of patents, a lot of proprietary information and trade secrets, and it's really about the technology of making it. You know, everything, every other whiskey is barrel-aged, and it's barrel-aged for a long period of time, and essentially we've uh, come up with a process to not only enable us to make really great and award-winning whiskeys without the use of a barrel or limited use of a barrel, but also allows us to use other woods. Uh, instead of just oak, which works great in a barrel because it holds liquid, uh, we use woods like black cherry and hickory and sugar maple and have some really extraordinary things come out of it. This, I, mean, I realize oak does provide a flavoring, but is that I did not know that the part of the issue was the fact that it did retain liquid. Is that difficult with other styles of that wood? Is, that's, that is difficult. Most of the woods, the, certainly the ones I just mentioned, they'd probably leak like a sieve if we made a barrel out of them. And, uh, you know, we use apple, for instance. It'd be hard to get staves that were big enough or straight enough to use in a, in a barrel. Some people put using apple as a continuing example, some people put apple wood inside an oak barrel to give it some of that flavor. But oak is a very aggressive and assertive flavor that sort of drowns out other ones. So we can isolate those flavors and, and come up with some really unique, unique whiskeys. They all do go in barrels for a short period of time. That's the way the law is written. Uh, but um, we try to minimize that and bring out the flavors of some other woods as well. It seemed to me, I remember years ago, that whiskey was something that people in Kentucky drank and, you, you know, and, and people drank Canadian whiskey. But there's been mm -hmm. a real worldwide explosion. And one of the things that you noticed was the explosion in China. How did that help lead to you decided to found Cleveland Whiskey? Well, that really was the inspiration for this. I read an article about the growing middle class in China. And, uh, you know, I looked into a little bit more. I think the author of the article talked about conspicuous consumption or not conspicuous, affordable, uh, affordable luxuries. That's what it was. And, and I thought, you know, it's not just affordable luxuries, but it's conspicuous affordable luxuries, things that you could share with a friend that show off a little bit as you enter the middle class. And you, I, at the time I was thinking about, well, there's a, you know, that, that could create a tsunami of market demand because I looked at what they were buying and they were buying imported a scotch and imported bourbon. And, uh, with, and here we're in a business that you can't crank up production like cornflakes or computer parts. So I sort of experimented. I thought there would be a market opportunity. And certainly there is in that the, the world really has expanded. And, and even here in the U.S., there's much more consumption of whiskey than there had been in the past. People have shifted from vodka and clear spirits over to the brown spirits. 
it's interesting when you even before the supply chain issues, when you would go into a liquor store in the last couple of years and look for particular brands, you were I was often told we don't have it anymore, and they weren't being pejorative or mean or anything. They were just saying the Chinese have bought it all up. That's very true, and and but also in Europe and you know really around the world, India probably you know consumes more whiskey than any other country in the world, and uh, so yes, and and you know the the problem is the traditional processes are are really slow, and you have to you know plan six, eight, 10, 12 years in advance for, for demand that you hope will be there when that whiskey matures. I'm, I'm not that patient a person. And, uh, you know, so I really focused on creating a, te- a technology that would change that paradigm. Give us the time frame for Cleveland Whiskey. When does this all start? We shipped our first bottles. We actually formed a company in 2009. We shipped our first bottles in March of 2013. Right now we have distribution in 16 states. We just shipped our first order South Korea uh, so we're, you know, we're doing fairly well, knock on wood, and uh, trying to keep growing. We're building a new facility down in the flats as we speak, hoping to have that open, you know, later in the summer, and that'll help us expand production and and really focus on, uh, you know, domestic distribution, but also uh, really get back into the overseas markets now that some of the tariffs are being lifted. And during those early days, you had a relationship with an organization called Magnet. What was what was that all about? So Magnet Manufacturing Advocacy and Growth Network, it's a not-for-profit staffed by a lot of engineers, really, uh, you know, who work on projects around the region in terms of technology and everything else. And, and they also had a technology incubator. We became a member of that technology incubator. It was great because we had access to all these engineers. Again, we're inventing and, and producing some technology and going through iterations. They helped us build out a lot of the things that, you know, I, I would go into on a whiteboard and draft them up and say, here's sort of what I want to do. And here's my concept. And now how do we make that? And I work closely with our engineers. There are many of the engineering interns from Cleveland State work at Magnet as well. We, over time, became Magnet's biggest tenant. I think we've got space here in this Magnet building on three different floors right now, and uh, we've well outgrown it, and that's why we're building a brand new facility. When you thought, when you were getting Cleveland Whiskey off the ground, did you seek other investors, or you just did this yourself? I did. Well, I, I started it with, with my money, but then brought in outside angel investors, and then we actually did something unique. We did a couple of rounds of uh, online crowdfunding, uh, we were one of the first online crowdfunders back in 2016. We did another round in 2018. Right now, we have over 1,600 individual investors, and they're around the world. And they are our uh, ambassadors, our advocates, our champions, and uh, they've helped us really expand. And it's an amazing group of people that we have. The goal is, of course, to produce a quality product that consumers want. But there, what other advantage do you derive from making whiskey the way you do, which is in this faster process? Well, I think the real key is that that we use these other woods. Uh, no one else can really do that. You know, we, and, and that's our fastest growth area. We have a, a, a weeded bourbon called Wheat Penny that we just released about a year ago, and we finish it with black cherry wood. It's certainly one of the best things we make, and it's getting, you know, it's winning double gold medals and platinum medals and doing great in competitions around the world. You know, we're still considered a little bit of a heretic within the more traditional sphere of whiskey connoisseurs and producers and you know and and writers but we're gradually gaining more acceptance as people realize hey this 
what you're producing actually is pretty good. And, and I must say that what we're making today is a whole lot better than what we made back in 2013. One of the advantages of the, the, the process is that we can do a tremendous amount of experimentation. I think, if anything, we're experimentalists. So we find something that works, we put it into our process, we make it part of the routine, standard operating procedures, and we keep doing that. I like to think that what we make today is better than when, what we made a year ago, and that was better than what we were making the year before that. And we'll continue doing that. We're not trying to sort of blend back to some, you know, mythical great, great, great grandparents' recipe. We're just trying to make better and better whiskey. In fact, our our uh, our mission statement, a very simple mission statement, is make good whiskey and do the right thing. That's that's us. That whole notion, I mean, when you go to Kentucky, it's like almost like a religion about the way you're supposed to make bourbon. Yes. Um, and I like you know, you, you noted that, you know, you've taken some criticism for that from purists. But I wonder if that also helps drive business that people say, what is this all about? I need to try this. I think so. And, that, and that's good for us because people, you know, once they try it, we have a great return rate. It also is helping us sort of move into Asia as well in that there the idea of using technology is seen as, well, that's positive, that's interesting, that could be a great thing. Talk about the process of deciding which woods you want to use. Is it uh, How do you go about deciding, well, apple wood might be good or, or cherry wood might be good? Was, was there a method you go about deciding or just winging it? <laughs> well, it, there is a tremendous amount of experimentation. Sometimes it's woods that people bring in. They, you know, I think we started with, you know, somebody had a, a cherry tree in a backyard that had been sitting for a couple of years. And, and we said, let's, let's give this a try. We now actually employ a full-time arborist as part of our group. To help us select woods, and every every wood we use is pretty much hand selected. It's all sustainable woods, and uh, it's become an important part of our business. But experimentation is key, and and there are plenty of things that we have rejected. So I, I've tasted some pretty awful creations as well as the good ones. Tom Licks joins us today. He is the founder and CEO of Cleveland Whiskey. He joins us for the landscape of Crane's Cleveland podcast. Is there a process, Tom, of a government approval that you have to get before you can? bottle and sell spirits? Is there somebody you have to pass this by before you get, get rolling? <laughs> there is not only a process, but uh, a, a whole series of processes. So we need, you know, federal permits that have to approve our formulas, then they have to approve our labels, then every state has different rules and, and you know, there are applications and, and uh, for this and that, and every state has different rules. So almost like every country requires different paperwork as well. So there, there's, there's more paperwork to this business and bureaucracy to this business that I than I ever imagined. And certainly it's more than any other career that I've had in the past. Once you get the whiskey made, of course, you have to get it on the shelves and into restaurants and other food establishments. How did you go about marketing Cleveland whiskey, especially when you first got started? You know, a lot of it really was was getting people to try it, getting people to taste it. We invited people into the distillery, uh, you know, pre-pandemic. We would do open houses and invite people in, and we could get hundreds of people in at a time. We also volunteered to do tasting events for a lot of charitable organizations and said, look, you're doing this event. Uh, we'll come in. We'll provide a tasting uh, with no charge, and it will be something that will attract people to your fundraising events. Uh, we did a lot of that. And, of course, we have traditional salespeople out there as well going to stores and and going to bars and restaurants and, uh, you know, his feet to the ground and a lot of work. 
when you now taking out the days of without the supply chain issues where the shelves are a little more bare, there are a lot of bottles of whiskey on a shelf in a liquor store. How do you get yours up there and in there, you know, for lack of a better term? Well, you know, it was interesting in the beginning, uh, back in 2013, you mentioned there were shortages even then. And I think as demand was skyrocketing and uh, sometimes that gave us an opportunity to be on a shelf, you know, that there we would go into a store and they would talk about the, the challenges facing getting some of the traditional brands. And we would talk about, look, this is something we make. We are, you know, we're having some some issues with with bottles now, but essentially we're a just in time manufacturer, and that's unheard of in this industry where you have to put product away and let it sit in a barrel for for years. Uh, you know, we we make it and we ship it, so really you don't get those sort of outages. Right now, our issue is that demand exceeds our capacity to produce, even though we can produce it in you know without letting it sit in barrels for a long time, which is again, back to why we're building this new facility. And it's much larger, it'll increase our production by a factor of 20X. So we're ready for it. There are many names you could have chosen. How did you land on Cleveland Whiskey? You know, that's a great story. I'm I'm actually, uh, my mom was born and raised here, but I had never lived in Cleveland. I moved here to really care for her as she got older and needed some help. I moved here from Boston, but I, we, so we did some research. We did, oh, now I don't even remember, but, but, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people, we did interviews and we tested a whole series of names, Cleveland being one of them. And I wanted to make sure that Cleveland was a brand that could not only sell here in the Cleveland metro area, but around the world. And uh, we found that people came back to us. And I, so I screened out everybody from Cleveland. I wanted to know what non-Clevelanders thought of, no connections to Cleveland whatsoever. And they said at the time, that they thought Cleveland was hardworking, that it was uh, entrepreneurial, and that it was edgy. And this was, you know, at a time in Cleveland where things were just starting to happen. But I just thought, what a what a great place and what a great name. And of course, Cleveland is my home now. You know, once I named the company Cleveland Whiskey, I was here to stay. And, I, and I'm glad. I, I love it. I, I make a lot of comparisons of Cleveland to Boston you know, decades ago, you know, we were once both world-class industrial cities uh, that had fell on some hard times. Uh, we had cultural issues, environmental issues, corruption issues, a lot of things. And sort of Boston went through it and became a world-class city once again. And I think Cleveland is doing the same thing. We're not quite there yet, but we also have the advantage of fresh water. So I think in the, in the future, that's going to be a big advantage for us. We have educated workforce, both blue collar and white collar. You need that both. You have a world-class healthcare here. You know, we've, we've pushed away the government corruption. That's allowing greater investments in the city and the area and things happening. I just think, uh, I, I think it's a marvelous place to live and a great place to do business. And it's not just cost of living. There are so many good things about this place. I, I'm so happy to be here. You mentioned that you've been expanding the places you can find Cleveland whiskey outside of Northeast Ohio. How is it? What's it like to get into foreign markets? What's how difficult is that? It is hard. You know, back in 2017, we had done a uh, or pre 2017, we had done a lot of work to get into Europe, and we were selling at that point in Germany and France and the Netherlands and Belgium, and really expanding. And then tariffs kicked in, and essentially we've been out of that market now for a couple of years. So trying to get back in. It, it is a lot of work. You have to go to trade shows. You have to visit people, find the decision makers. And whether it's a foreign country or a, uh, you know, or a, a state liquor control board, there's just a lot of discussion, a lot of, you know, tasting and looking at our business model and looking how we market it. And because every time your bottle goes on a shelf, another bottle really is coming off. Another brand is going off. So if you have to make a case 
that this is to the benefit of, uh, of those retailers and wholesalers. And, and we work that all the time and have, have a team doing that. I wonder about the pandemic. I thought to myself, you probably wouldn't be selling as much in restaurants and bars because they weren't open as often and bringing in customers. On the other hand, people were at home and one of the things they were doing was trying different things, including whiskey. How did things balance out for you? We actually continued growing. So we just finished our third profitable year. I think it's our fifth year of double digit revenue growth You know, in a row. So we did well. I mean, at the same time during the pandemic, we did like a, mod- a lot of our colleagues, we made hand sanitizer. The difference here is that we, we partnered with the Cleveland Clinic and we produced, I don't know how many thousands and thousands of gallons and, and, and bottled hand sanitizer for their 51,000 frontline healthcare workers, uh, never charged a dime. It was a handshake agreement and you know it was just the right thing to do. Back to our mission statement, make good whiskey and do the right thing. You know, I now I'm now I'm back to forgetting what the original question was, but 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 it was uh, it it turned out to be a positive thing for our business. We didn't do it for the publicity, but we wound up getting a lot of publicity for it, uh, which in turn had other people, other distillers sending alcohol to us. We had bottle manufacturers, box manufacturers, a whole series of people saying, okay, you can become a central distribution point for us. You're getting out there effectively. So we had all of our sales staff who now couldn't go to the restaurants or the stores. We put them all to work bottling and blending uh, hand sanitizer. So we kept everybody employed, didn't have to lay anybody off and our revenue grew at the same time. So it worked out. In, in a difficult time, it worked out. Yeah. I was going to say, you mentioned some of the awards Cleveland Whiskey won. You had a nice year in 2021 at the World Spirits Competition in San Francisco. What happened there? Uh, so the San Francisco competition is actually the, the, the most rigorous one, the most respected one around the world. We now have, uh, I think, over 50 gold, double gold, and platinum medals from competitions uh, around the world. And we've done well at like the Berlin International Spirits Competition, who gave us an award for Whiskey Innovator of the Year, and certainly other ones as, as well. But most of our products has, have won you know, bronze, silver, but a lot of gold and double gold. And, and, and that has helped sort of prove that you know, this technology isn't the heresy that people think it is. It can make good whiskey, and that's what we strive to do. Do you do, I'll, I'll be curious, I'm especially I've been to a lot of wine tastings over the years, and a lot of them you do blind tastings. How does that go when you do a blind tasting up against those traditional bourbons? Do people say, oh, I, I noticed the difference? Or, well, you know, I think a lot of it's in people's heads. It, it, some of it, I think, is. And, well, of course, all the competitions are blind tests. But right. we also separately, we did, uh, in, in early on, we did over 3,600 blind taste tests of our Cleveland Black Reserve, which was our original product and still uh, still on the market against Knob Creek. And Knob Creek is a well-respected, uh, good brand. I drink it as well. And both of the products are 100 proof. So I thought 100 proof, it's a good fair comparison. Uh, in those 3,600 blind taste tests, uh, we won 54% of the time. And I'm a former you know, marketing researcher. And so we, we did good, solid testing. And frankly, I was surprised by that. I was hoping that maybe you know, 20, 30% would prefer us and that we averaged 54% was phenomenal for us. And as I've as I said before, what we make today is so much better than what we were making when we were running those tests. I don't even know what it'd be like today, but I think we we just you know we strive to make a really good whiskey, and and because of that, the company has grown and continues to grow. And you know, I, I will say we have a tremendous amount of support from people in this area. People, you know, Ohioans, Clevelanders. It, it's it's been surprising how much support we've gotten. I am I am continually amazed 
when we have an open house, for instance, and people come by and, and, and shake my hand and, and thank me for starting Cleveland Whiskey. And it's like, this, this is, this is, I mean, I, I lived in Boston for a long time. I loved Boston, but this is a great city to be a part of. And uh, I'm just so happy to be here. Finally, we, I would be remiss without asking a question about you always hear, what's the best way to drink whiskey on the rocks? Drink it straight. I've heard it's a process. We're starting straight and then adding a little water and then adding some ice. It's a chemical thing. Well, it is a chemical thing, but I, I tell people, because I'm not a whiskey snob, I, I think you just drink whiskey no matter you know how you want it. If you want to mix your whiskey and Coke, uh, do that. If that's your favorite way of doing it, you should do it. I, I hope you'd mix Cleveland whiskey with the Coke, but that's fine. But me personally, I always, I always if I'm trying something new, I, you know, I take it straight first without any ice, without any mixer. And then I, and then I get crushed ice, not ice cubes, because that'll change the flavor dynamic too quickly. And I'll put in one little chip of ice and, and you smell that, you taste it. It's like a whole new new brand. You can keep doing that three, four, five, six, eight times and get a whole range of like a melody of flavors by doing it slowly. And yes, water does make a change, but then you might find, gee, this particular whiskey works best with this amount of water or without water. I think you have to experiment with each one. And we all have different taste buds as well. So we'll experience everything a little bit differently. But again, there's no best way to do it. There's just, just sip it. That's it. And drink <laughs> it responsibly. Yeah. Right. Good idea. Tom Licks, thanks so much for joining us talking about Cleveland whiskey today. Great pleasure having you with us for the landscape. Oh, same here. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. Tom Licks is the president and CEO of Cleveland Whiskey. He joined us today for the landscape of Crane's Cleveland podcast. We're glad you could join us too. I'm Dan Paletta. Thank you for being with us and we'll talk again soon. Mm-hmm.